Hey guys, Eric Bischoff here to talk to you about my friends over at SaveWithConrad.com. Are you looking to get out of debt? Conrad and his team can make that happen faster than me firing the hockey talk man. Wow. And you know that controversy creates cash, right? Do you know what doesn't create cash? Credit card debt. Save with Conrad can help you consolidate high interest credit cards and all of your other debt into one low monthly payment. They can even help you get the cash you need for home improvements or anything else. They've helped 83 weeks listeners save 500, 600, 700, even $800 a month. Seriously, your papers are going to go down faster than nitro ratings in 2000. Ouch! And how about this? No house payments for two months. That's right, no house payments for two months. And unlike the dirt sheets, man, the reviews do not lie. With over 1,000 five-star reviews, find out for yourself how much Conrad and his team can save you by checking out savewithconrad.com today. You'll be grateful you did. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you are listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer. The hardcore legend himself, Mr. Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Was woken out of a dead sleep about six minutes ago, but um, I'm getting <laughs> in there, getting to the zone. Should be ready. Well, I'm excited to be back with you. We uh, are now doing our monthly format. You can expect brand new content each and every month here on Folius Pod. And uh, we'll have some little surprises here and there. And speaking of surprises, Boy, did we have a big one. We just saw something you and I have talked about and teased for a bit and said, boy, it sure would be nice if one day, and now it's real, the three faces of Foley action figure coming at you. I think it was announced out at the San Diego Comic-Con. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. And I was in attendance when it was announced. Man, how excited are you? The three faces of Foley. This has been a dream of yours for a long time. Take a look at that. Mankind, Cactus Jack, and Dude Love. That might be one of the coolest Cactus Jack uh, action figures yet, right? I think it's the coolest um, because it's the first uh, WCW era Cactus Jack. Um, so I'm really happy with it. I'll, I'll argue that the WCW version was a little better than the WWE version. Uh, not, no, nothing against the WWE version, but the, the 92 Cactus uh, on what that fi- on which that figure is based, he had that hunger, and um, I think that was uh, specific. Uh, my wife specifically made that attire for me, not the tights, but the um, the shirt. She made the attire for that match against Sting at Beach Blast. So I think that's what they're taking their uh, their uh, their call from. And uh, a couple interesting notes. It'll be the first cat because it's WCW era Cactus Jack. The ear was still intact. I lost that in 94. And I didn't have the prominent scars, which I got in uh, either uh, 95 or January 96. Um, so so it's, and it, I think it looks great. I, I really like the hair. Love the lifelike deltoid and biceps that come along with it. Uh, I was really a stickler on those, on them uh, taking a, a form <laughs> of my own. But uh, 
<laughs> but uh, I'm really happy with it. You know, it's funny, uh, Conrad, is I reached out to you and, you know, we have a very freeform uh, show here, right? There's, yeah. there's, I, I usually don't even look at what you guys send me because I, I wanted to have the most legit feeling. Um, so, uh, but in this case, I, I was like, man, uh, you know, I, I the, uh, the, the press conference or, or the panel at, at, at SummerSlam, not SummerSlam, uh, sorry, still waking up in San Diego at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, had me very happy, but saying something that would make headlines and then that's going to bring us to the other thing. I said, hey, can we just talk about these two things? So we do have a very free-flowing form, free flowing format, but occasionally I like to talk about things. And in this case, it was uh, – I tell that I uh, threatened to quit uh, uh, not to sign my uh, – uh, that's the next one. That's the next headline there. But I threatened not to sign my another Legends deal. And I even said a line about I drew a line in the sand and told my manager. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like you and I both know that I was I was serious about going elsewhere uh, or making my own if WWE, you know, could not guarantee that this is something they were going to do. Look, you know, your life, your not life, but your shelf life can be short. I'll always do okay, I think. But I mean, these these action figures are really helping uh, helping me uh, have some good weekends as I travel the country and the world. And I was like, I, I can't, I don't need a, a three three faces set when I'm sixty five. I won't be signing anymore. Like I need it this year. And so I drew the line in the sand eight months away by telling my manager. So it wasn't <laughs> not real dramatic as far as lines in the sand go, but, uh, but you would know better than anybody that I, I really wanted that um, three pack and that you were, we were discussing leads about where to go if uh, WWE couldn't do it. Uh, but this is the best case scenario where uh, I never did have to. Uh, I, you, you know, you didn't even we did we did not even have to even enter into any kind of negotiation because boom, the deal, the three figures are done. Uh, they're coming. They're on their way. I'm really happy, and there is no need for any uh, law lines in the sand six or eight months from now. I got to tell you, I love the look of all three figures. I think the dude love figure is, uh, is, is fantastic. I mean, what a cool figure that is, but my favorite yeah. by far is the cactus Jack one. And I didn't really put together what you said, but you nailed it. That's the WCW version. And that is mm-hmm. my favorite version of the cactus Jack character. And I can't help, but wonder when you talked about that top being one that Mrs. Foley helped make, did she make that with a little help from our friends at Lane Bryant? Not that one. I don't think that, uh, I don't, oh man, that's a good question. No, I think she made that one from scratch. I really do. Well, we got to talk about something else that seemingly is from scratch. Uh, some of these headlines that have popped up in response to our podcast, uh, we love our wrestling media and, and all the coverage and support we get there. So we greatly appreciate that. But occasionally it does feel like 
whether intentional or not, it feels a little clickbaity at times. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. And now I know a little something about uh, writing articles because I've written and submitted articles, had some stuff printed. And if the wrestling media follows suit with the rest of the world's media or just our country's media, um, the authors in charge of everything except the headline. So, um, you know, the, the powers that be, the editors, you know, you fight for things you want to keep. At least this is my thing. Uh, some people might say, fine, change it all. Of course, there are, you know, like uh, celebrities who don't do their own writing and even in articles. And then they don't really have the care about what the content is. But in my history, you know, you kind of, you know, you scrap and argue a little bit with your editor over things you think should stay and things you hate to see leave, things you agree leave, uh, that sh- things you agree should leave. But then you do not get to pick your own headline. Um, so in this case, we had talked about uh, my push, you know, kind of fizzling out at uh, WCW after um, the big match with Leon White, spin the wheel, make the deal, Halloween Havoc, uh, 90, uh, 93. And I found myself just, you know, just as an extra on um, house shows with no real direction. And meanwhile, my wife was having a difficult pregnancy. She had to be, uh, you know, in bed most of the day. So I had asked EB, Eric Bischoff. Um, I, it was clear that my I was trying to renegotiate a contract. And he said they just didn't have any, you know, that amount. They couldn't do it, which is kind of writing on the wall because, you know, um, a, a year earlier when I, when I uh, had my contract uh, stay the same with Bill Watts. That was considered a major win. But now uh, entering the third year of my contract to not any, getting any kind of bump up when other people were was a little bit of writing on the wall. But I, uh, I asked Eric if I could, uh, you know, all right, okay, I can't make, I, I understand the contract it has to stay where it is, but could I possibly spend some time at home with, and he knew my wife, uh, and we knew the Bischoffs. So I suppose possibly spend some time at home um, before uh, this is like, you know, six weeks leading up to my wife's uh, delivery. And he's cactus. Like, we just gave you the time off for that, you know, the knee angle. And I was like, Eric, you've got me teaming up with uh, uh, ice. <laughs> What's the ice? ice train? Yes. At house shows. Like, you don't really need me. Uh, and he, so he granted me the time off. Uh, but the thing is, the uh, you know, if you want to pop up the article uh, that I saw that the front of the article, the way it came out is Mick Foley had to argue with Eric Bischoff in WCW to be at the birth of daughter Noel. It's like, no, that's absolutely not true, and it's not written that way in the article. But someone made the decision that. That was a catchier headline, even though it wasn't true. I never had to argue with Eric Bischoff to be to be at the birth of my daughter. I had to argue to be there six weeks before, which is a huge difference, right? And so I just I was a little disappointed because I knew that's not what we said. And I was disappointed because that's not what the article said. 
But like you said, uh, it's got that clickbaity feel where, uh, yes, that headline is going to get more uh, looks. But uh, in the same way that when I go on YouTube and I see, uh, look at what the Partridge family looks like now. And Susan Day appears to be 700 pounds, which she's not. Uh, it's like there's no she's there's no truth that they're even being over slightly overweight. But that's what people, you know. I just I want us as a wrestling media, as part of the wrestling family, to to do better than that. And I think we do have enough crazy headlines that are legit, uh, strange and unusual that we don't need to create our own headlines to drive traffic. That's I'm just that's my ask for people out there in charge, not the guys doing the stories because they're doing a really good job. And I'm always fascinated by how much time people spend writing about what we do, usually for very little compensation. Um, but this is to the people at top, uh, at the top, just, um, you know, just don't, uh, fall under that pressure to create a headline that is misleading or untrue. Well, what is true is, uh, you are on the road. I assume that's not what I'm looking at is uh, your bedroom at the Foley man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, uh, where are you at? What are you doing? What's going on with you today? Galaxy Con. I held off um, for uh, seven, eight weeks while my son is up in the White Mountains doing a spectacular job, uh, really growing and maturing before my eyes. Just uh, this you know, full-time job at Clark's Bears in Lincoln, New Hampshire has just been really good for him. Uh, so prior to this, I've been like driving like two hours to Portland, Maine, and I drove the two hours from my uh, – uh, uh, sell uh, anniversary show to Burlington, Vermont. So I've been doing two hour, three hour trips. But in this case, I brought uh, uh, Mrs. Foley, as in my wife Colette came up to relieve me so I could come out here and, uh, and hopefully have a really successful convention. GalaxyCon is one of the best ones in the uh, country. So I'm doing all four days today, which is, uh, I, I don't know when you guys will post this. Tomorrow. But we're we're recording. Yeah, we're, it doesn't ruin the magic, does it? People know that it recorded oh, it one yeah. day earlier. Um, I'll be here through Sunday. And then uh, if they go to my website, realnickfolly.com, you can see that uh, I will also be going to uh, Planet Funk in Davenport, Iowa, home of Seth Rollins. Uh, and now Becky Lynch. I'll be doing that the 20, uh, 25th and 26th of August, and then going to Austin, Texas for another GalaxyCon at the beginning of September. So hope to see you there. Well, I'm excited that you're here today. We're going to be picking up where we left off. Of course, our most recent episode was celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Hell in a Cell. Uh, was that episode uh, all you hoped for? I mean, my goodness, the 25th anniversary a quarter century in the rearview mirror, people are still talking about that match. It feels like the legend of that match will never die, man. That's an all timer. I think five years from now, uh, people are going to be interested all over again and, and they'll be interested in, in some way, shape or form. Like we know that uh, in one of these world cup games, some team will go up four Oh, and uh, there'll be memes on social media with JR saying, would somebody stop the damn match? 
it's, it is a big part of our culture uh, here, our wrestling fans, as wrestling fans, and even beyond. Uh, it's part of pop culture. And I think, you know, five years from now, we'll probably be talking about it again. Well, we're going to be talking about the fallout from that. You wrote in your book that you prided yourself on how little pain medication you would take through your career. I mean, you even talked about after you had knee surgery, you uh, only took one pain pill in four days. But yeah, yeah. Boy, on the fallout from this one, you write that you had been taking so much you were in a stupor for two days. This is yeah. uncharted territory for you, no? I was pretty loaded up. And by loaded up, I meant I took it as prescribed. Right. <laughs> one every four hours. Yeah, I was in a I was in a lot of pain coming out of that. Uh even when Vince had the kindness to send me home to uh convalesce for four days. Yeah. I mean, you know, for a guy who had hardly ever taken medication to be taking it as prescribed did have me in a stupor for a few days. You mentioned that when you get to TV the next day, Francois worked on you for hours. Talk to us about that. What was that like? Man, Francois was, uh, yeah, he was unique. And when I say unique, I mean that in a good way. And I think we may have even talked about Francois because Bruce told you his technique. You weren't on a table. You're on the ground and he like walks up the wall, right? Yeah. You're on the ground and he's got his, you know, he's got amateur wrestling shoes and he would literally walk up the wall and be able to use a certain pressure that way. So he'd have his whole body weight on it and he could, uh, he could do something. He got me walking again, in, as, as walking up straight in 97 when I had the really bad, uh, the sciatica so bad that I thought I'd have to retire. And it hurt. It hurt like crazy. Uh, but he got me walking straight. I remember Al, Al Snow couldn't believe it when he saw me walk on the plane because he'd been seeing me gnarled over for the past three months. So, yeah, he did work on me. I don't remember the specifics of that day, but he did work on me quite a bit. So you write in your book that he worked on you for hours and you had asked your old pal Luna Vachon to sort of monitor catering, uh, just to give everybody sort of a, in their mind's eye, a glimpse of what the backstage area looks like. When you go backstage to a WWE show, uh, usually you'll come in the back entrance where you know, you could see the loading docks and things like that. Yeah. And then you'll get to a point where it feels like, okay, I've got to go left or right. And there's usually almost like a display of, all right, gorilla is that position with an arrow to the left and Vince's office is that position. And that's to the right and all that sort of thing. So folks usually gather in the catering area. And in this era, they had monitors going, especially on the fallout from a pay-per-view, they would yeah. be showing the most recent night show. So if you didn't get a chance to see the whole show because you were getting ready for your match or what have you, you could sit and review. So the King of the Ring pay-per-view is playing in catering. You ask Luna to give you a heads up when your match is going to be on. And as crazy as this sounds, you've never seen it because obviously you were in it. And for a large portion of it, you weren't really all the way there. So you yeah. meander in there and, and tell us what you remember about going into the cafeteria area, the catering area, seeing all the boys watching the match and what happened when the match was over. Yeah. I think I walked in there with Taker as well. He was, uh, taking really good, taking really good care of me. Um, 
He was the caretaker that day. <laughs> That'll sell some shirts. That'll sell some shirts. Uh, well, you know, I described it as I, we were watching because a lot of the stuff I was watching and telling me is so much of it was new to me. Like I pieced all of it except for like the, you know, I think it was 41 seconds where I was unconscious. I pieced everything except that together. But that day, so much of it was new to me because I, you know, really had my brain jogged and suffered that, um, suffered pretty bad concussion. Um, but my most vivid memory is I did get caught up in watching it. It was, you know, to the point where I wasn't even aware of people around me. I can't tell you for sure what kind of, you know, reactions they were making because I was so caught up in the match. And then when it was over, the entire room stood up and gave me and The Undertaker a standing ovation, which I had never seen in catering. Although, I'd only seen it a few times post-match, uh, but certainly never post-match in catering. So that was a strong indication that what we had done had uh, certainly been different and appreciated. I mean, a standing ovation from a videotape is just yeah crazy. Um, was anyone telling you to go home? I mean, uh, you know, as far, I mean, there's gotta be pressure on you to, Hey, that's enough. Whether it's at home or it's the office or it's Vince, like, uh, well, I did have a, I did have a match on raw. It was very short. Uh, and Steve took care of me, uh, with a chair shot, you know, with a chair shot. I, I guess you could argue I should not have been there at all. Um, but I think it added a little bit to the resilience factor. Um, it's, you know what I was thinking about this episode, uh, as soon as I heard about it, I thought, oh man, they pick a match. I don't remember anything about, uh, not because of head injuries, but because you, it's like, I considered it a good solid match, like a single up the middle, but. After, you know, after a storied baseball career, not too many guys are going to remember the single up the middle. They'll remember the time they struck out with the bases loaded, or they'll remember the uh, towering shot they uh, sent into a purple twilight sky. But I, like, it just, I just remember it was good and solid. Um, I knew I was struggling as a character. Uh, We had talked about this before, about the cell, how it wasn't, was not an instant phenomenon. And it was not the trending topic for a couple of days like it would have been if this if it happened in the age of the uh, of social media. Instead it was like something that had a chance to gain momentum like a snowball rolling downhill. Yes. But in the immediate aftermath, it was still way up at that top of the hill and it was a pretty small snowball. It had not started to gain that momentum. And would not, I'd say, for at least another month, because I remember going on a signing uh, that was not well attended, um, not a knock on Sable and her ability to draw a bigger crowd than me at a, you know, at a fair. But she had a line that was you know, three, four times the size of mine. Uh, so this whole legendary status and the legendary image of the match wasn't there yet. It would eventually get there. And and I've said I'm lucky it wasn't on social media where it, where it trended for a few days and then been forgotten. 
And instead, it was it was given time to grow, especially in people's minds. Uh, I remember thinking that, you know, I had never been less over in the after that math of that match. And I knew I had to draw, like, I knew I had to do something different. I knew I had to connect with an audience in a way uh, that I had maybe flirted with, you know, making people laugh, uh, making people feel for the character in a slightly different way. But because that, the cell was kind of like the point of no return, where I could never be that guy again who just, you know, almost lives and breathes to make your jaw drop. I had to rely more on a few of those traits that I, like I said, flirted with. Uh, and uh, the idea of like creating a wrestler with a kind heart, you know, like who's a little bit naive. That was a big risk in the Attitude Era. But I think not so much in the lead up to this match, but in the lead up to the match the next month at SummerSlam, that's when I started trying some different things. But uh, in my mindset, I once again did not feel like I belonged in that main event match. Uh, Undertaker beat me pretty defi- you know, I mean, decisively. Uh, I don't think people were like, wow, they, you know, this, <laughs> this story is more mileage to go. So it felt like it was a main event thrown together with, uh, the two most over baby faces. Uh, although rock was fast approaching, uh, breaking into that area. Uh, he was on fire. Um, and then they had Kane and I, who were the tag team champions. And I thought we were a good solid team, but I, it just, it, it didn't have the fire and pizzazz of uh, of a really great main event match. It had the fire and pizzazz of a really good raw main event match. But as far as a PPV, yeah, I wasn't sure I belonged there. And I was still trying to figure out a way to make this new uh, Mankind uh, click, this new version of Mankind click. Well, it was clicking with fans. It's the third highest rating in raw history and the highest ever for an unopposed show. It does a 5.36 rating, just absolutely obliterates Nitro. I think a lot of that is because of you, Mick. I mean, certainly. People- wait, wait, hold, hold on, hold on. We're ta- I, I thought this was the, uh, the pay-per-view match we're talking about. I was talking about the um, June 29th raw, the night after. Oh, Oh, really? The night after was unbelievable. And and fans are really intrigued to see what's happening with you. I mean, certainly they want to see what's going on with Stone Cold and the title. I mean, that's important. But everybody was talking about that crazy bump. And Kane becomes a one-day champion. Of course, the, the the belt is back with Austin that night. But what's interesting is the night after King of the Ring, and nobody talks about this, that's the night Brawl for All started. Um. You and I haven't spent any time talking about that before. What did you think of Brawl for All as a concept? Oh, man. It's, I mean, it was created as a vehicle for Dr. Death to kind of just, just surge over everyone. But they, were, you know, they forgot that Mark Merrow was a heck of a, you know, heck of a boxer. Um, there were knee injuries. I think there were two or three knee injuries from guys getting knocked out in violent fashion. Uh, the only one who came out ahead, you know, the better for was Bob Holly because even Bart Gunn, you know, right after he won, he was like <laughs> sent to uh, in Japan. Um, 
and uh, like it was uh, it was just a mess. You had guy you had guys suffering serious knockouts and then driving home. Yeah, you know? less than ideal, no doubt. <laughs> less than ideal. You had guys who didn't, you know, who did a disservice to their legacies by being in there, you know. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was a, the whole thing was a mess. I'm curious from your perspective. Uh, did you think there was any upside to the brawl for all? I mean, I understand sometimes in wrestling we're just trying new things. Like we got to see what sticks and what hits. And I mean, it feels like very quickly we realized this was not a good idea. Oh, not a good idea at all. Yeah, I mean, the upside was supposed to be the making of a new star in Doctor That Steve Williams, but then. Uh, he uh, he got knocked out by Bart Gunn, and I was there with Doc in the dressing room. And it's like trying to repair, you know, he'd hurt his knee by getting, you know, the, again, the violent backwards knockout. With You're dealing with guys, a lot of wear and tear on their knees anyway. And uh, the physical rebuilding of Dr. Death would be a lot easier than the emotional rebuilding is it was like he was shattered you know and i was there uh, trying to pick up the pieces for him it was one of the saddest uh, nights of my life seeing somebody who i knew would never be the same and he went back to japan uh but that aura of invincibility and he was a tough dude you know he was an all-american in both football at at least a starter on a great team but definitely an All-American. JR could clear that up. I think he was a two-sport All-American. And uh, an All-American at Oklahoma where he would join the team late after football season. And he was a guy you did not mess around with. And it wasn't just his uh, his amateur credentials, but, uh, you know, he, in a scrap, you know, he would. He, this is where some of those legendary, like, pre-Haku stories came up. You know, four or five people, like, boom, boom, boom. And here he is being knocked out. And I think for whatever, uh, Bart Gunn got over more over than he was supposed to, and we never heard from him again in WWE. He did come back and then got knocked out by Butterbean, um, which just called into question how good Bart could have been if he got knocked out that quickly, even though Bean hit him with a punch, it would have knocked a mule out. So, no, no, there were no real winners except for Bob Holly. Bob mixed it up with uh, Bart Gunn. Came back, he goes, that was fun. And it kind of became the, um, the, the dawn of the hardcore Holly era. Why don't you think they did something with Bart? I mean, you sort of laid it out and you said, hey, in your opinion, this was a vehicle to help establish a new character in Dr. Death. And he was going to be, you know, the perceived new baddest dude on the block. He could beat all these guys in a real fight, quote unquote, real fight. Well, Bart Gunn did that. And to your point. He's sent off to Japan, and that's kind of all we do with him. It felt like a lost opportunity. That Mania match had worked out differently. Um, Maybe things would have worked out differently for Bart, but that doesn't explain why they didn't do anything with him in the immediate aftermath, Um, because there's a big jump from uh, uh, early July 98 to uh, March, April of uh, 99. So he was gone for long periods of time. And then, you know, he suffered that quick knockout from Butterbean. 
I don't know. I don't have the answer. That's where you'd have to talk to Bruce or, um, or JR. I just wasn't privy to those conversations. Do you remember there being a lot of hurt feelings in the locker room over Brawl for All? Uh, well, you know, I mean, yeah, there were guys, you know, who, you know, who, who got knocked out cold, who just didn't think that type of thing could happen to them. Uh, and that was, uh, that was, you know, that was tough to deal with. At least the, uh, Godfather, when he got knocked out, um, in the presence of mind to have his women come and help him. And he was still dancing on the way out. Uh, but no, yeah, it didn't do any favors for anybody. Um, even the winner. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, the next Raw you have, which is a taped show from State College, PA. So this is the era where we're doing a live pay-per-view on a Sunday. Right. We're doing a live Raw on a Monday. And then we're taping a Raw on Tuesday that'll air the following Monday. And this taped edition of Raw is where we see the DX parody of the Nation of Domination. That's going to go heads up with uh, Goldberg uh, beating Hulk Hogan in the uh, Georgia Dome on Nitro to become the world champ. So it's a hot time and you guys are, you know, loaded for bear. I mean, you just obliterate nitro and now they respond with, we're going to make Goldberg the champ. So some pretty stiff competition. what do you think of, uh, the nation parody with Jason sensation and how they pulled all that off? Oh man. Uh, poor Jason gets written out in the retelling of it. Uh, but yeah, if Jason could never, never get the green card. And he, uh, he's worked with me on at least a couple dozen of my events in Canada because he just does such a spot on job of so many of the guys. Um, and he did the great, he didn't look like Owen, but he was like, what am I a road sign? <laughs> and even though some of the jokes are a little hokey and been, been told before, he goes, it might, it must be nice. When, he goes, I can get up in the morning and smell the coffee in Brazil, that's tremendous. So this is one. Uh, now, when you look at the guys in blackface, three of them, you're like, "Ooh, I don't think we're supposed to do that anymore." But uh, it wasn't meant. I mean, it was meant to be entertaining. It wasn't. It was meant to. It achieved its goal. It was extremely entertaining. I'm just, you know, uh, the blackface doesn't age no. well at all no. in today's in today's era. But, uh, I mean, it showed off some chops for uh, Triple H, you know, did a tremendous uh, rock video. Uh, you should have smelled what The Rock was cooking. <laughs> I'm not faking. Should have smelled what The Rock was baking. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really, well, it was, it was really memorable. And, uh, you know, nobody does the parodies like professional wrestling does. So by now, you know that Mick and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of these death matches and some of these bloody wars that he had, but you probably also know that that blood was intentional. You see, nobody wants to get cut accidentally, but unfortunately a lot of us do it. If you're using a cheap razor, you're getting those nicks, those cuts, that irritation. And I got to tell you, I got pretty annoyed with that whole subscription razor concept a few years ago. I found they just kept stacking up. What I enjoy most about Henson shaving is that it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels old school. Seriously, just the actual blade handle itself. Dude, it's metal. It's not some cheap piece of plastic that's gonna 
prank on you or frustrate you. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to last a lifetime, but it feels substantial. It feels like something our grandparents would have used. And at the same time, man, you get a whole pack of these straight razors. Dude, this is old school, but here's what's cool about it. And here's why I believe that you got to meet Henson shaving. They're a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same technology and engineering to your shaving experience. You see, I've learned that razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble. Well, the more nicks, the more cuts, the more scrapes. You see a bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. So by using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration free shave. It's also got a clog free design. You see this razor has built in channels to evacuate the hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic. There's no subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades. There's no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard old school dual age blades, but it gives you that, that new age, that new school tech. I mean, dude, these folks have made stuff for space. You darn right. They can make stuff for your face. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only like three to five bucks a year to replace the blades. I'm a big believer in this. I was overwhelmed with the value. Seriously, you're going to get more blades than you can imagine. In my first shave, I have to admit, I was a little intimidated. I haven't worked with a straight razor like this before, but dude, it was easy and I felt like a badass when it was done. I'm going to tell you the design is incredible. The durability is awesome. It's super affordable. My buddy Cassio kid came over to watch the Royal rumble and I had told him about the razor before. And I said, Hey man, I got to show this to you. And I showed him the blade. I showed him the razor. It's, it's something you got to see. I recommend it. It's the most manly thing you can do today. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use code Foley and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G.com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley Hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. It's a, it's a fun show. And it's also a show where we see a very interesting angle in the main event. Uh, so to set it up, we've got, uh, everybody wants a shot at stone cold, Steve Austin and his world title. Of course, Kane is the most recent champion. And, uh, the undertaker is right in the crosshairs of Vince McMahon. And he's very thankful. He being McMahon for what you've done. So he's going to announce a three way and you guys are going to, uh, mix it up in the main event. And then when the main event comes along, they play the undertaker's music. He's not there. They play the undertaker's music. He's not there. And you announce that you are not willing to fight your friend Kane. That's where you draw the line. And as all this is happening, Stone Cold Steve Austin is on commentary. Well, it turns out that you do wind up wrestling Kane because he comes after you hard. Your supposed friend Kane is just all over you. 
And it's a pretty uh, short match. And very quickly, Kane dispenses of you. He dominates you. That's the end. Or so we think. Kane takes his mask off. It's not actually Kane. It's The Undertaker. What a nice little twist. They actually released that as an action figure a couple of years ago. One of my favorite angles, especially on a taped show. I mean, what a nice twist. I really enjoy the storytelling. What do you think of the execution of this one? I thought it was good. Yeah. I, I, you know, this is one of the things where so much time had gone by. I forgot it happened. And I was watching the match and thinking, yeah, this is a couple of years ago. Well, Kane looks a little different, just a little bit, you know, and Kane had sharper. He was a little more vascular than the undertaker, like sharper, uh, a little bit bigger shoulders, triceps. Um, and and so I thought he looked a little tiny bit different than Kane, but uh, it was it was a great angle. It really it really was, and it didn't matter that the match was short because that was the element of surprise. Um, it, you know, it, it takes a good man to beat me, Conrad, but it, it does not take him very long. So. <laughs> what a great line! Uh, it's a great line. They're, they're going to give you a little well-deserved time off, uh, both you and mankind, or you and Steve Austin are going to miss uh, shows in Canada. And uh, there's a little thing that the company tried here that didn't happen. I want to ask you what you thought about that. They were planning on doing a stadium show where the Patriots play, Foxborough Stadium. Okay. And they wind up canceling it due to poor ticket sales. It was just going to be a house. Wait, wait show. Can, I inter- can I interject something? Please do. So that um, Undertaker, uh, Undertaker, Mankind match, did they, do you have a date when that took place? Uh, yeah, it was uh, in State College, PA. So I'm going to guess it was done on uh, July, June 30th. All right, that's interesting. So I actually was there for all. I did two matches yes. after. They were quick matches, yes. but two matches after the cell, and then I was sent home for four days. Okay, so we were thinking of doing the uh, the stadium where the Patriots play. Yeah, and, and to be clear, these injuries that you've got, it's at least reported in the Observer. Contrary to reports elsewhere, he did not suffer any broken bones in the match. Although his ribs were badly bruised and he had a lot of soft tissue damage and his mouth is a mess from losing three bottom teeth and the dental work necessary to repair them. He hasn't been able to eat any solid food since the match. He's in a lot of pain standing up or sitting down, not to mention he has a probable concussion and a dislocated jaw. The expectations were be that he'd be back wrestling in Boston as well. Meanwhile, the undertaker's ankle isn't getting any better. Apparently he had a similar surgery or injury about four years ago and he had surgery at that time, but he doesn't want to go through that same surgery again. Feeling the pain from the operation is worse than the pain of working through floating bone chips. You're a guy who's opted out of surgery and just gutted out before. Is that something that you would adopt as a a theory as well? Like, Hey man, the surgery hurts worse than the pain. So let's just, let's just power through. I think all my surgeries were scheduled well in advance so they could um, be part of storylines. Right. Um, um, you know, I uh, look, uh, the hip and knee replacements were life changing operations for me. I uh, reduced so much pain, but, um, man, that, that would be the undertaker's choice. I mean, he's a tough dude, man. He can, uh, 
he can go through more than just about anybody. So I don't know what he was feeling at that time. I don't know how he felt before and after a previous surgery, but I guess that's, that's his call to make. To tell you how hot the product is at the time here, you know, we're one week removed from Goldberg becoming the man, uh, but raw is live. And so because raw is live, raw does a 4.65 rating. Nitro does a 4.46. So even with the big nitro dome show, just six days prior or seven days prior Goldberg winning the world title fans are still more inclined to watch a Monday night raw than a nitro. I mean that, that right there tells the story. You guys are just hotter than ever. Well, you know, what's funny is in the retelling of the Monday Night Wars, a lot of credit is given to the night that uh, Mankind defeated The Rock. But actually, our first win was in the build-up to the Dude-Austin match, I think, in April. And I think we were going back and forth ever since then. Uh, does that sound correct? Yeah. I know that, does sound that was a masterful two-hour show. Uh, they, te- you know, they tease the match. I, ru- I ruined the show. I'll be the first to admit that I ruined it. Um, it was meant to be Austin and McMahon, and then I interfered and uh, it left a bad taste in people's mouths. But we won that show. I believe that was a- that. I believe that was the one that broke the eighty-three uh, week streak. The, you know, the, that's that's my recollection at least. And then we were trading wins back and forth. Before um, the, the you know mankind and the rock tied it up in uh, in Worcester, Mass. So that's really interesting to know that it really was about it became about how good the shows can be. Uh, and this is when I thought WWE was at its absolute strongest in putting together really compelling two hour and later three hour uh, you know soap operas. You've heard Mick talk about it for years. AG1, Mick and I absolutely love AG1. We start each and every day with a simple scoop. That's it. That's all we need. One single scoop and a cup of water. And buddy, we're getting 75 different high quality ingredients. It's going to hook you up and give you all the key daily nutrients. And it's going to go ahead and support everything you need. Your energy, your focus, your strength, your clarity. This is just a a no brainer to me. Think of it as like your foundational nutrition product. You know, listen, we all get busy and we wind up, well, I didn't want to do this for lunch, but I don't feel like I have an option or, well, I know I need to Dude, this is easy. Just one scoop every single day. You're making sure you're taking care of your most valuable asset. You, you cover all your bases. You're looking for better gut health. You want to boost in energy. You want to support that immune system. Maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins. Maybe you just want a supplement that tastes good. I drink mine every single morning. My wife does hers before she even does her coffee. It makes her feel unstoppable on her way to the gym. And I think it gives me more focus at work. I feel like I'm more productive and I don't have that crash in the afternoon. I feel like I'm more productive all day long. We started this back even before the pandemic started. My wife did, but when the pandemic started, man, she had me start doing it. We've done it every day since we are huge fans. I think you will be too. Even our daughters are into it now. Morgan's actually taking some down to Tuscaloosa with her. With every single serving, you're setting yourself up for success. I just can't recommend it enough. By the way, you don't have to take our word for this. Just go look up their reviews. These cats have thousands of five-star reviews. It's the real deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1. 
and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG one travel packs with your first purchase. Go right now to drinkag1.com slash Foley. That's drinkag1.com slash Foley. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. The important thing that we should know here is that you are on the heels of this giant opportunity at King of the ring. You're certainly working hurt and maybe that's a reason, but you're still positioned in tag matches. Like you're going to beat the new age outlaws along with your pal Kane to win the tag titles in five minutes and 35 seconds. Um, I mean, listen, this is going to be the second time you've won the tag titles. The first time you were dude love with Steve Austin. Now you're winning it with Kane. So when you do have these little tag title opportunities, they're successful and they're with big stars. But is this do what you, you Conrad, do you count the Cactus Jack uh chainsaw Charlie victory at WrestleMania? Oh yeah, there you go. That's right. Or do you see the fact that we uh, d- d- deposited the outlaws in the wrong dumpster that it was never a victory to begin with? Yeah, um, let's count it. We'll we'll say three times, three times, three times. Uh, okay. In your opinion, though, like, did you, like, in your mind's eye, did you ever consider yourself a tag team wrestler? I mean, I think most people listening to this associate you with a singles wrestler, but you had all these great moments as a tag team, whether it was in WCW or yeah. here in the WWE. I mean, going all the way back to gorgeous Gary Young being my partner in, uh, in World Class, and then Abdullah the Butcher being my partner in uh, WCW uh, and from uh, fall of 91 for probably about a six, seven month period. I thought we were a really good tag team. I enjoyed tag teaming, but I, I needed the pressure of the singles match so that I did not sit back and rely on my partner more than I should. Well, you're not getting much time off here because even though you've won the tag titles on this show, you're going to wrestle again later that night. DX is <laughs> complaining about the fact they lost the titles. And now Austin and Taker have to be the referees for the match. I mean, here you are with King of the Ring, not too far in the rearview mirror. I mean, 10 days or so. And yeah. now you're wrestling twice in a night. They're asking an awful lot of you here, Mick. <laughs> I don't think anyone would have questioned if I had gone home for four months. No. <laughs> yeah, so I was back in four days and part of the, you know, part of the mix right away. Um, I have to think Kane was, was helping me out quite a bit there. I mean, I don't remember a lot about what I start remembering in detail. And this is, this is just, I just want to point out, it's, uh, uh, my memory problems are short term, not long term. So the reason I can't remember this is again, it's like a solid single up the middle right? that no good hitter is going to remember. Um, so we're, ma- I'm making contact. Like I'm not embarrassing myself in these matches, but they're just, it's, they don't, they, they can't compete with all the really great and really bad memories that are at the forefront of, I think any, any athlete or any performer's minds, they only remember the really good and the really bad and the rest kind of gets mixed up in a jumble in the middle there, but they were good. And I was not embarrassing myself. I was counting on Kane uh, and he came through and I thought visually we looked good as a tag team. We had Paul bearers, our partner, and it would not be until SummerSlam with the uh, 
kind of pseudo babyface turn that I started remembering everything that followed. Let's uh, let's mention that there's a nice little sub story, if you will, underneath these tag team affairs. Where all of a sudden it feels like Kane might be working with the Undertaker. They've been these long enemies and and rivals, and and these brothers aren't getting along. But here, there's a couple of moments where it feels like, wait a minute, are they working together? So that leads us to the next day. You guys are going to tape Raw in Bethlehem. This is going to be the go home Raw for Fully Loaded. And the storyline is that Vince is trying to figure out: Are Kane and the Undertaker forming a secret alliance? Uh, Vince is really helping this story along and just fantastic. Taker's going to choke slam Vince. Vince is going to punish him by putting him in a handicap match against you and Kane later in the night. Then it changes to having Austin in the match instead. And we know that Taker's still banged up from, well, the ankle injury, even before King of the ring. Uh, and the show ends with Austin giving mankind the stunner. Kane's going to stop the count. Austin's going to escape a choke slam with a low blow. Undertaker swings at Austin, but hits Kane. There's the DQ. And now we get chair shots from Austin for Kane, Mankind, and The Undertaker. And now the story is, did The Undertaker mean to hit Kane? Or did he mean to hit Austin? And we're building towards this fully loaded pay-per-view, but this almost feels like it's just to get us to SummerSlam. The big story being Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. That's going to be a babyface main event opportunity. What did you think about working matches where it was babyface versus babyface. Is that more challenging than a traditional heel babyface matchup? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a little more challenging, but uh, we've seen that uh, some of the biggest uh, mania uh, main events in history have been babyface matches. It's all about the interest. That's, uh, you know, there are some people I really respect who say uh, for, for a heel, it's all about the heat. And I'm like, no, it's about the interest about the interest uh, because you can I remember being an independent and the guy a guy came out as a pink panther you know not the pink panther but in a pink panther outfit and he was able to get a lot of um, boos and jeers be, simply because of the you know the one dimensional character it's harder it's more difficult to get interest but it's more lasting so um uh, yeah, I think if you went through history, you could find that it wasn't always the heel with the most heat who drew the biggest houses. Although back in the day when you know people believed there'd be a much bigger correlation between the heat and drawing. But I think in the modern day, it's about interest. And if the interest is there, you know, the fans will choose who they want to uh, cheer for. And sometimes it'll be a 50-50 split. And that was a new adventure, you know, for um, for all the men and women who participated to try to find a way to make those matches just as compelling as the ones that had the traditional good guy and bad guy. Well, let's talk about Fully Loaded. We're finally here. Um, as great as this show is, and there's a lot of great matches on this show, I think the thing that most people remember about it, at least guys my age, was boy that bikini contest with Sable and Miss Jackie? Uh, we did have a little wardrobe malfunction with Miss Jackie, but those handprints were legendary in Huntsville, Alabama, in 1998. Let me tell you, uh, what do you think of that? Is that does that have a place in wrestling? Were you guys pushing the envelope? Was that just the way it was? 
<laughs> yeah, I guess it did have a place. I mean, Sable was super over. I, I saw her ex, Mark Merrow, just a couple weeks ago and wrote a nice little article about, you know, how, um, you know, I was pretty negative about Mark during my time in WWE, but that was only based on him having the, not even the good fortune, but the good business sense to become the first ever uh, uh, guaranteed contract. And he signed that about five days after I did. I shouldn't have been mad at Mark. I should have been mad at Vince, you know, but uh, <clears throat> well, I was able to use that, that frustration in a positive way. And uh, likewise, the only thing Sable ever did to me was get over bigger than I was. <laughs> that, that, that hurt. But uh, Sable should be in the Hall of Fame. I have to. I'm guessing that uh, Brock, you know, uh, the time is not right. The timing's not right. But uh, she was super over. And uh, though she didn't come from a wrestling background, she, uh, uh, you know, she, I don't know if a she. <laughs> accounted for herself just fine and really well in that match with uh, Luna and Mark and Goldust at WrestleMania 1998. But yeah, I think there's, I don't know if there's a place now for it, but I mean, we were pushing the envelope and, uh, you know, in fairness, you know, the, there were handprints covering the, the naughty bits. So, uh, I, I <laughs> Oh my goodness. The naughty bits. That's hilarious. <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about the actual wrestling on the show. Rock and Hunter are going to do a 30-minute Iron Man match. Uh, and I think a lot of people with the benefit of hindsight can look back and see these guys are really battling to see who's going to be the next guy to move into that main event status. I right. Mean, right. At, at this point, it's been you know The Undertaker, and it's been Kane, and it's been Mankind, and it's been Stone Cold. But who's next? Is it going to be Rock? Is, is it going to be Hunter? We also see a dungeon match. I'm curious if you saw that the Owen Hart, Ken Shamrock match. Dan Severn is the referee. Yeah. And it's in the famed Stu Hart I, dungeon. What a fun idea. That was a great idea. I had no idea how small the dungeon was. Right. Uh, there was barely enough room for a ring in there. And uh, I don't even know if they had a ring in there. Beyond, you can tell me if they did. Um, no, but they Owen was utilized the lay of the land uh you know he was using the ceiling uh it was it was interesting you know because uh ken was a big deal he was a big deal and the only way owen would have a chance is uh you know he had the home field advantage there let's uh let's also mention that uh there's a storyline going throughout the show that the undertaker has not yet shown up to the building and it's seemingly unknown if he's even going to be here. And Paul bear comes out and even calls the undertaker a coward. And this is one of those, I don't know, uh, show long threads that we normally only saw on TV, but here we get it on pay-per-view. I, I kind of like that. I mean, it makes it feel more of like what we bought. Like we love Monday night raw. We want more of that webby with, longer matches and no commercial breaks and that sort of thing, as opposed to, Hey, if you like what we're doing on Monday, tune in on Sunday, we're doing something totally different. What do you think about yeah. these show long threads like that inside of pay-per-view? I, I love them because, uh, not every match is, a, is a sizzler. Um, and I think it's something three hours can be a long time to keep people emotionally invested, especially if you have, you know, you feel like 
the match you came to watch doesn't happen for two and a half hours. So I liked it. In trying to find a little bit out about, you know, the time period, usually I come in completely blind to these things and just give me my feelings. But this was a time period I did not remember much about the match. So I did a little, you know, background. There was one uh, good comment somebody had. It said, uh, you know, it used to be that the uh, the Raw is built up to the pay-per-views, but recently it feels like the pay-per-views are building up to the Raws. Because Monday night was had become such destination programming, and we had WCW hot on our heels that when we were given the chance to have our own show, I say I, you know I'm not sure that we were the best as good as we were on Monday nights when we had someone breathing down our necks. We still had great matches uh, where we needed to have them, but uh, I'm all for the threat. I've got a sneeze coming up. Uh, you believe though that competition brought out the best in Vince McMahon? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so that within within a year, I think I've told this story, and I'm not trying to disparage the the, the legend of Eddie Guerrero, but Eddie Guerrero did a four minute straight through karaoke version of Shameless uh, by Garth Brooks, and when I talked to Barry Bloom. I was like, Barry, geez, I knew Vince never liked more than a minute of a talking head. Right. And I said, wow, Vince must have really been upset. Uh, I wouldn't want to have been the producer on that segment. And Barry said, Vince did produce that segment. And it was fun. It was fun to see Eddie, do, you know, <laughs> sing Shameless in a Texas hockey tongue uh, and building up a match with Steve. But that's an example of something that never would have happened. I remember I would cut pretty good backstage promos. They're like, no, I got to do it over again. I was like, why? He went a minute seven. So the, the thought was that people wouldn't listen to uh, a talking head, no matter what they were saying, for more than uh, for more than a minute, especially if it was pre-taped. Let's talk about another little swerve that we do on this pay-per-view. The New Age Outlaws are going to come out and challenge you and Kane to a tag team title match the next night on Raw, and then there's a big brawl. And, of course, this is going to be a swerve. Uh, Later in the show, again, Undertaker has not shown up. He's not here for the main event, which is supposed to be Stone Cold and The Undertaker teaming up to take on Mankind and Kane for the tag titles. But at this point, we've still not seen The Undertaker. And I love this little bit here. Vince McMahon comes out with some of his favorite pals, Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Sergeant Slaughter. And they're still talking about the fact that The Undertaker is apparently a no-show. So McMahon announces that it is his responsibility as the promoter to remind everyone who bought tickets and is watching on pay-per-view that this is card subject to change. But don't fear, it is his responsibility to have a suitable replacement. And of course, Bruce Pritchard has always told us the, the old rule of thumb is the replacement has to be better than the original announcement. So with the undertaker sidelined, don't fear fans. We still have a main event tonight and teaming with Steve Austin in the absence of the undertaker. We have a suitable replacement in the Brooklyn brawler. What a fantastic moment on pay-per-view. It feels like a Monday night raw and I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I completely forgot about that, but that was, uh, the, yeah, uh, that was fun. 
And it's time for our main event. It's Undertaker and Steve Austin. They're going to be wrestling Mankind and Kane. Uh, they get 17 minutes and 28 seconds. Meltzer would say it was a better than average match, but below the standards of most WWF pay-per-view main events. As a reminder, in this Attitude Era, if you will, and The Undertaker, if you're watching on YouTube, did in fact show up. It wasn't the Brooklyn Brawler. Uh, but in this era, WCW had the reputation for having a really strong undercard but really weak main events. Meanwhile, the WWF would often be written about in the Torch and the Observer as having a relatively weak or thrown together undercard, but an incredibly strong main event. And Meltzer would say that this one maybe wasn't quite up to that standard. And honestly, I don't know how it could have been given what happened just a few weeks prior. In the end, he gave it two and three quarter stars. It's heavy on story. And when it's all over with, The Undertaker and Steve Austin are the tag team champions. Uh, you and uh, Kane were not tag champs for a very long time, but what a match it was. All the star power in one ring. What do you remember about this one? I know you watched it back recently for the first time in a long time. No, I actually did not. Oh, I thought did. you were saying you watched it a few years ago. I <clears throat> if I did, it did not make a huge impact on me. I, I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was good when it happened. <clears throat> not great, but good. I would have given it an extra quarter of a star. I would have put it up there at three, I think. Um, but we were working through injuries, and it was uh, it was clearly designed to get the uh, Undertaker and Steve Austin uh, SummerSlam main event going. And like I said, uh, uh, on a real, very real level, I was searching for ways to stay relevant, searching for ways to connect with the crowd that didn't uh, in, didn't include making their draw jaws drop every uh every week or every night on the uh you know on the road so i was more concerned with how i was going to keep my head above water than i was about you know the the buy rate or the the star rating um i was really in a i felt like i i had to do something major in a major way in a major hurry I'll tell you what's interesting to me about this match is it almost feels like after this monumental show at King of the Ring, uh, I mean, what a moment it was. A, when Kane wins the world title, nobody thought Steve Austin was losing that thing. But more importantly, what we're still talking about 25 years later, an incredible King of the Ring. Now we're headed towards SummerSlam at Madison Square Garden. We've got Stone Cold Steve Austin going to be wrestling The Undertaker. What a huge match that's going to be. Two of the biggest stars. And this is just kind of there. It, it, it feels like a transition to get us from June yes. to August. And, and we tell a story that we almost told the exact same story in 1997, where all of a sudden where Steve Austin is in a big feud with Bret Hart, Bret's going to be out. I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Somehow he and Shawn Michaels become tag, uh, tag team champions, but with Bret on the outs at King of the Ring, Steve winds up wrestling Sean, his own tag team partner and co-tag team champion at King of the Ring. We do that same story again in 98, but with The Undertaker. So it feels like as excited as you would have been, hey, I'm in a pay-per-view main event. It's really not about the match. It's about the other two guys that you're wrestling. Yeah. It's their story, not your story. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, back to what a simpler time it was when they did, was it five pay-per-views a year? Oh yeah. They used to do four back in the day. Four. And you really had a chance, you know, you wouldn't, have, this would not have been a, a match that would be a main event on a pay-per-view. Um, back in those days, it made storytelling much simpler 
uh, to follow. Um, you know, I really liked it. I understand the business model had changed. And, and back in those days, not only did you only get the four pay-per-views, but you rarely got a competitive match on TV. Um, right. So things have changed enormously. So all of a sudden now you, you're competing with your own really good matches on TV and the matches that WCW is having, really good matches on TV. And it put a lot of pressure on the, you know, on the writers, uh, on the main, you know, the main characters, the wrestlers, uh, to come to, to make their stuff different and believable. But it was, it was a challenge. It was a major challenge. Uh, SmackDown, I believe it just started or it's about to start. Would add another two hours. Raw was going to go to three hours. And, uh, I give a lot of credit to the creative team for, uh, you know, bringing out the best in so many of us under really, really difficult circumstances. It's a, uh, it's a fun story. You know, Austin is uh, finally needing desperately Undertaker to tag in. He's trying to look for that elusive hot tag. Uh, Undertaker is very hesitant, very reluctant. Finally, he does. He clears house, nails the tombstone on Kane, grabs both tag belts after the pin, and he's out of there. Austin's left to his own devices. So they're the tag champs, but maybe it wasn't his original plan. Something that's written about in the observer quote undertaker hit the 4,000th DDT on this card. Now I wanted to ask you about that because we've, we've seen, we've seen and heard from a lot of folks, including our pal, Jim Ross, who remind everybody that boy, the DDT used to be a finisher and now it's a transition. Do you think the DDT, I mean, I know these days people talk about the super kick that way. But in the nineties, do you think they did that to the DDT? Like as a community, it went from being this really impactful move that everybody loved, but it was used once to once a card to now there's 12, a match. Yeah. And I, w- I was part of overdoing that because especially when you're calling matches on the fly, right? Um, <clears throat> it's such a great cutoff. I mean, that guy's I still on a stickler for, you know, <laughs> the back body drop meaning something just so it gives us a reason to bend down and get caught, you know, without any back body drops, there's no reason to bend down and get uh, caught with a transition move. But it was either, it was really either the, uh, the neck breaker or the DDT. That was the best transition, um, you know, from, from heat to come back or from heat to doubling down, we overdid it, you know, and we need someone to step up once in a while and go, Hey guys, you got to take this one off the menu. Um, you know, <clears throat> yeah, they, they, we, we definitely overdid it for a while. This episode is in fact brought to you by pro wrestling crate.com. These are monthly mystery crates for diehard wrestling fans. And if you're looking for exclusive wrestling collectibles every month, Sign up for them at ProWrestlingCrate.com. Boxes ship worldwide and include brand new merchandise from AEW wrestlers and WWE legends. Every premium box includes two shirts, one micro brawler figure, one autographed eight by 10, one lapel pin and more. Plans start at $9.95 and are the perfect gift for any wrestling fan. Visit ProWrestlingCrate.com today. Let's do a few questions. Then we'll put a bow on this one. Instagram, a wrestling historian says, can you please tell us a funny story about Kane? Thanks in advance. A funny story about Kane. Oh, man, I hate to go to that same well where I talked about 
Paul Bearer and, and Kane and I getting thrown out of the Catholic Youth Center. Have, have I told that one here yet? Uh, yes, you have about the uh, suck it story. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a funny story about Kane, but <clears throat> he always had a thick, usually a really thick um, um, nonfiction book that he was working on at all times. So um, I know that there were people who knocked him, you know, just the idea of him going into politics. And I remember, I remember writing years before he went into politics, that that was going to be his calling that he was six foot six, you know, you couldn't debate him because he knew just about everything. He had used his time in the air and in the dressing rooms to get an education that was really second to none. Um, and, uh, uh, that's not funny in the least, but I'm coming up blank brother when it comes to, uh, funny stories about Kane. I'm really sorry. Well, let me, let me tee you up one. Uh, you were once getting in the zone for a match and you're walking around. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was getting in the zone for my match in 2006 and, uh, WrestleMania. And because there's so much activity taking place uh, uh, backstage, they had uh, they had erected tents. I was hesitant to say erected because I know Grillo. He likes to get like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Joey on Friends giggling when Ross says homo erectus. Um, but we were uh, there were tents back there, and uh, man, I felt a lot of pressure, and so I. Uh, I was in that tent area, and apparently I was listening to music, a unique choice of music. And uh, Kane told me the next day he walked in and he saw me rocking back and forth, like entering a different zone. And he walked right out and he goes, what the hell were you listening to anyway? And I gave him my old battered yellow Sony Walkman that my children had outright refused for a Christmas gift the previous year and uh, I put on the music and it's like the first 30 seconds of winter by Tori Amos and uh, Kane takes off the headphones, hands them back to me, looks me in the eye and goes, remind me not to fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. And maybe our first F bomb here on Foley is five or second one. Yeah. yeah but well worth it. Uncle Conrad, can I plug one more thing? Please do. All right. Uh, today, through the 31st of July, it's Christmas in July. Go to cameo.com slash McFoley. 25% is already taken off the top. But even more importantly, if you wait another week, in sometime in that first week of August, we will be celebrating my 5,000th review. That's a landmark moment. Uh, over twice of what any other wrestler or uh, athlete of any kind on the planet has piled up. And we'll be celebrating that by taking 50% off of my cameos for 50 hours, but I don't know the code yet. So somewhere around August 3rd, August 4th, uh, it'll be on my socials. I'll let people know what the code is. And uh, we hope to hear from a lot of you because uh, I enjoy doing these videos and uh, they're pretty reasonably priced with the 50% off. Can't wait. I know you're going to do a great job. I see all those reviews pouring in and every now and again, I get a chance to check out some of the videos. If you're on the fence, go check it out. You'll see that 
This is not a cameo like any other. Mick really puts his heart and soul into these. He puts on a performance for you, and uh, he's not doing it for a sold-out crowd. He's doing it for you or your loved one. Go check it out on Cameo. You'll be glad you did. Uh, one, one, one or two more here. Dylan Leahy says, did you see the Kane character be a one-off, or did you imagine he would have longevity in that character? I did not see it as being a one-off. I did not think that he would find so many ways to tweak the character that it would make it one of the great characters of, you know, of, of the attitude era. He's yeah, he's, he, he or they found ways to keep it new. So I don't think anybody thought, yeah, this got a 20 year shelf life when we saw it, but I think we thought it could be impactful for a, a couple of years. Matt wants to know if Paul bear is Kane's father and you referred to Paul as uncle Paul. How does it feel being the first unofficial cousins to be WWE tag team champions? <laughs> cousins. How about that? That is a great question. And, uh, well, so you're, so are we sure that we were the first cousins? That sounds like, uh, to be WWE champions, uh, feels good, man. Feels, feels really good, but I'm not sure that's historically correct. One last one. Matt wants to know Kane or Al snow. Who was a better tag team partner? Well, you know, in some ways, um, Al was because the difference in our reactions was so great that it really made me feel good about myself. <laughs> Al's expense. Uh, like when I teamed up with The Rock or Kane, uh, you know, we get the better overall response. But as far as there being a glaring difference between this guy and that guy, yeah, that, that Al Snow thing was good for my soul. Well, we will be discussing the rest of your 1998 later this year here on Folius Pod. And along the way, we're going to talk about two of my favorite topics I've wanted to talk about with you, including Lost in Cleveland and Halloween Havoc 1993. It's happening right here on Folius Pod. You can get all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. And we just debuted a brand new show there called Making the Town with our pal, The Blue Meanie. We're taking a deep dive into some of the more famous arenas in professional wrestling history and what better building to start with than the former ECW arena. It's available now at adfreeshows.com. Also want to mention if your business targets men 25 to 54 years old, no better place to advertise than right here with us on Folius Pod. You've heard some of the same companies for the entire year. Well, high as that? Well, because it really works. We've got a super targeted audience. And if you're looking for men 25 to 54, we got them. Find out how easy it is at advertisewithfoley.com. Want to be sure to plug our YouTube as well. It's one thing to hear the show. It's another to see it. This is a totally different podcast from everything else on our network. It looks and feels a lot different. It's Foley on youtube.com. And if you're looking to look a little different, can I recommend FoleyIsPodShirts.com? We've got some new fun shirts over there. Uh, of course, you see the uh, Mr. In Your House shirt, the hardcore legend. How about Cactus Jack's Steakhouse and Saloon? And who could yeah. forget the Phantom Balls? All available now. Never forget those Phantom Balls at FoleyIsPodShirts.com. Be sure to check out Mick on Cameo. And hey, if you're in Raleigh, what are you waiting for, man? Get in the car. Come to GalaxyCon. See Mick this weekend. Mick, I can't thank you enough for the time today. This was so much fun. I know that uh, 1998, especially June and July, maybe a little bit of a blur, but we sure do appreciate all the memories, man, just 25 years later. 
Thank you. Before I go, can I pose a question for our uh, viewers and listeners? Uh, even the viewers, uh, the listeners may be aware that I'm in the transition stage here from short to long on the hair. I love it. Should I, uh, let's uh, just put it there. Should I go back short or should I continue to track one last try? One last real try to see if Mother Nature will cooperate with me in a way she did not five years ago. Is that, I mean, listen, I, I hate to put you on the spot like this, but your hair is awfully dark, Mick. Do you have any yep. gray hair? No, no. As you can see a little salt and pepper coming in here and there, depending on how the light is. I'm just so grateful that I took the gamble that fans would accept that a man in his mid to late 50s did not have jet black <laughs> jet black beard. I, I feel so much better coming to you with the natural beard than I would with the jet black beard. But as far as the hair, no, no dying whatsoever. But I'm seeing little sprinkles coming in, and I'm guessing I got about five to eight more years um, as a sultry brunette before I become the distinguished salt and pepper guy. Well, let's, let's put it to a poll. Go check us out. Uh, Folius pod on Twitter. We'll throw a poll up. Do you want Mick with the short hair or the long hair? We'll talk about the results on the next Folius pod. If you haven't already go hit that like button, hit the subscribe button Foley on youtube.com. And we'll see you sooner rather than later right here on Foley is pod. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. The debut of Tuesday with the Taskmaster is here, exclusively on adfree shows. Kevin Sullivan shares stories of his 50-plus years in the business, including the night the business changed forever. The night he turned heel, he stayed at my house. His agent came. I had a three-bedroom house at the time on the beach, and I wouldn't let the agent have a room. I gave Hulk a room, and we didn't leave till the first match was in the ring. We got in his limo and drove down. I was so afraid someone was going to change, change his mind. And I've heard a lot of things that it might have been Sting, it might have been Big V. I didn't have a second choice. It had to be Hulk. On a new edition of The False Finish, Conrad is joined by none other than Glacier as he breaks down how the Glacier character came to be and the memorable vignettes leading up to his debut. I enjoyed doing the vignettes. Uh, I felt like it was um, a chance for me to show off that martial arts side uh, that I had had, you know, and it was something I was very passionate about. And now, you know, my two loves of pro wrestling and martial arts were being combined together. So, so I was all in. Hey, that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from. See for yourself why AdFree Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. That's right. Sign up today at adfreeshows.com.